0: Brothers and sisters, and welcome back to an all new Sermons in the Park. As always, I am your Reverend Jamie McCaskill. I want to take this time, like I do each and every time we do a video or a podcast or anything like that, and just say thank you for joining me here. Thank you for uh, always tuning in and following along. Um, So, here we are, and let's, uh, before we get started, let's bow our heads and thank our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you once again for all the great and wonderful things you've done for us. All the gifts you give us, the gift of life, the gift of food, the gift of drink, the gift of so many things. There are so many things that I I can't even think to mention right now. All these things that you do for us, things on a molecular level, things that we see and that we don't see. All these wonderful gifts that you give us. You gave us the gift of your son Jesus so long ago, a gift that we did not deserve. A gift of when you gave him to Father for uh, so that we could have this close relationship with you and we just want to say thank you. There's so many days we forget to say thank you. There's so many times we get wrapped up in this world and, 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 and it should, it, that should be the first thing on our minds, and and we're, we, as humans, we forget, and we're sorry for that. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for everything, the gift of healing, the gift of deliverance, all these great and wonderful things, and we just want to say thank you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Amen. Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, what we like to do here on Sermons in the Park is we take a a book of the Bible and we break it down. We break it down book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and yes, sometimes even word by word, because over time, words in the English language change. And if you're following along, mostly we use the King James here, but it's we're not I am NOT a King James purist by any means if you're using the NIV or whatever use whatever book you're you're more comfortable with because in the long run you're still gonna learn here right and um, this week we're up to chapter 14 of Genesis so if you want if you want to get caught up before you get started I invite you now to pause this video where you're at go back and watch all the rest of them and get caught up and then Join, on, join right on in where we are. Um, so this week, like I said, we're up to chapter 14. And in chapter 14, we'll, we will be reading about how, you know, raiding and conquering and making other kings and city-states subservient vassals were all part of the world that Abraham lived in. The locations that we read about, they range from Shinar, which is in the east south of the salt sea which is of course the Dead Sea to the Jordan Valley all the way to the land of Moab which is of course southwest of the Dead Sea to Mount Shinar these are all later called Edom now let me make something very very clear Here, uh, the harem, the the Amokites, did not exist during the time of Abram. But they did exist when Moses wrote this, okay? The Amorites that that were scattered all throughout Palestine became the Canaanites. You see, with a vassal state thinks that they can throw off the yoke of their overlords, they will rebel, right? They they won't pay their tribute like they're supposed to, and and they will wait for some kind of a military response. And the rebellion that we read about here was a major excursion by by the offended overlord, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Cheddar Cheddarleomer and his allies, right? And in, in the ensuing uh, confrontation with Sodom and Gomorrah and their allies, the vassals they, they made a severe miscalculation. They miscalculated, and they lost. Lot at the t- at this time was a re- was a resident of Sodom, and he's taken captive. Okay, so let's go ahead and read. Uh, Genesis chapter 14, we're going to read the entire verse, verses 1 all the way to verse 28. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elessar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. That these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Barash, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, and Shimeber, king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale of Sidon, which is the salt sea. Twelve years they served. Chedorlaomer and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaim's and Ashtaroth, Karnaim and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Amims in Shava Kiriatham, and the Horites and their Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to in Mishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazizan Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Admah, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela. The same is Zohar and they joined battle with them in the Vale of sitting When shadow when Shedalamar, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, the king of nations, and Am, Amraphel King of Shinar, and Arlok, King of Elisar, four kings with five. And the Vale of Sidim was full of slime pits and the Kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there and they that remain fled to the mountain and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the victuals and went their way and they took lot Abrams brothers son who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed and there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother, brother of Eshgal and brother of Anir, and they went. And sorry, <laughs> and these were confederate with Abram, and with Abram. Her, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, three hundred and eighteen. And pursued them unto Dan and he divided himself against them he and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother lot and his goods and the women also and the people and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of shava which is the king's dale and melchizedek king of salem brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the most high god and he blessed him and said blessed be abram of the most high god possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be the most high god which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand and he gave him tithes of all and the king of sodom said to abram give me the persons and take the goods to thyself and abram said to the king of sodom i have lift up mine hand unto unto the lord the most high god the possessor of heaven and earth that i will not take from a thread even to a shoe-latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Anir, Eshgal, and Mamre, let them take there. Portion. Now, what we do is, we, after we read the whole chapter, we go back and we start with the first verse that we read and we, we reread that and we break it down and then we move our way through the chapter. So, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amphrey. <laughs> I'm sorry, these names are hard for me to say. Uh, they're not a normal part of our English language, right? <laughs> start over. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Arlok, king of Elisar, Shadar-Lamr, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. Now, I want to give you some information here. Some history, if you will. Fourteen years before the events that we're reading about, Shadar-Lamr and not Hammurabi was in control of the plain of Jordan. And at this time, Abram was most likely still in Haran. We know that five cities of the plain revolted. And shadr with with three of his allies, they marched out against them. The reason for these allies being there is only a guess. But we do know that they had to have come there from a very, very long distance. So... Most likely they came here because they wanted control of the copper mines that are south and southwest of the Dead Sea. We know of these mines because of the Protosynatic inscriptions that tell us that these mines were worked for for centuries and they were later worked by Solomon as well. So. Now, let's move on to verse 2. That these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, and Shemeber, king of Zebol- Zebolim, and the king of Baah, which is Zoar. Now, think about Nimrod. When we look at these because, because it was the same spirit, the spirit of deposition, the same one that was on him, we see present here with these pontinates, if you will, prompting them to aim at a, a universal empire. Notice that these five kinds are just petty sovereigns. They each are in charge of a single town and the neighborhoods of those towns the area where where these towns are was very circumscribed all of them except for Bela was submerged and formed the basin of the salt sea that's why I say that Sadim is believed to be part of the salt sea the Dale is a deep valley or a glen, if you will, where these kings lived. They and they and they lived on the banks of the Jordan, or even the Salt Lake, which is, which is where it flowed. Now, looking at these five cities, Sodom was the most powerful. It had the the most luxury, and it was full of wickedness. That is why it's mentioned first. Beah is also called Zoar. And it means the little. And it is named last. Now, did you notice that they didn't they do not even bother to name the king? The next verse says, all these joined together. Let's go look at that. Verse three. All these were joined together. In the Vale of Sidom, which is the Salt Sea. So it's saying that all of these leaders, right? All the ones that are mentioned in that in that first verse had formed a, a league, if you will, a league in self-defense. And they marched out to meet their enemy in the dell of Sidon. And they made war with Bera. Now there are a few things that I want you to take notice of first off elam is now known as iran secondly these places called the Valley of sidon and and the sea, the salt sea are the same place as the dead sea okay and lastly do not forget lot had settled there He he's settled in sodom or he was very near it at the time we, we're not 100 percent on that but he was either really close to it or he was living in Sodom, right? So let's move on to verse 4 now. <coughs> 12 years they served Shedorlaomer, in the 13th year they rebelled. So it appears that these five, the, the, these uh, Canaanite ish, <laughs> these Canaanite ish kings, had been subdued by armor and, and and that they they were uh, obliged to pay him tribute. And having been enslaved by him for twelve years, they were wishing to to recover their liberty now. So so they revolted in the 13s. So, in response, the following year, he, he summoned there uh, by one of his vessels. And he's invading uh, Canaan to fight with and, and to discomfit the kings of these uh, pent- pentopolises, or these five cities, which were Sodom, Gomorrah, Zebulun, Zoar, and uh, Admat, which were situated in the, the fruitful plain of Sidon. You know, they had previously overrun the whole land, right? So let's move on to verse 5 now. And in the 14th year came and lamr and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephames and Ashtaroth, Karnam, and the Zuzims in Haran, and the Amims in Shava, Kirielathim. Now do you notice that this goes back to the, those previously mentioned circumstances that took place before the raid it tells us 12 years had they served him these years seem to go back to the beginning of his reign they were probably dependent on the power in shinar or Shani- yeah, in shinar sorry and, and they were connected with with it by some national descent now if shitellammer had had wrestled the supremacy from the king of shinar and, and he was regarded as an alien by the princes then their coolness would would ripen into dissatisfaction anyway we know that in the 12th year they rebelled right we see that in the 14th year Shidlamer he he came to to quell the revolt this military expedition seemed to embrace far more grand things than that the control of the Pentapolis and the Dale of Saddam. Okay? So let's move on to uh, verse 6 now. And the, the Horites and their Mount Sire unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Look at how it starts off when it says, And the Horites in their Mount Seir. This would actually be the Horim. And they dwelt in Mount Seir. Which was of course named after Seir the Horite. These Horim, they lived there for a long time before they were driven out by the sons of Esau or Edom. And their country was afterwards called Edom or Edom. Idumea. Now take a look here at Genesis chapter 36 verse 20. We're going to read that one real quick. Sorry, it's loading extremely slow today. These are the sons of Seir the Horite who inhabited the land Lothan and Shobal and Zybium and Anah. Okay, now let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 12. The Horims also dwelt in Seir before time, but the children of Esau succeeded them when they had destroyed them from before them. And dwelt in their stead as israel did unto the land of his possession which the lord gave unto them the verse then goes on right and it says unto Paran, which is by the wilderness so so far these horites they inhabited and the four kings smote all they met with until they came to this place right so until they came to this place they 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 t- wiped them all out except for the Horites. This seems to be either the plain or, or the oak of Paran. And it was near a wilderness that had the same name, which is the wilderness of Arabia. That and This is where the Israelites traveled through for, what, 40 years? On their way to Canaan. These Horites, they seem to have been a Shemite tribe. And the Shemites were an aboriginal tribe. Inhabitant of Mount, of Mount Shear. They most likely dwelt in caves. We still see them in Petra and other places. They of course were later absorbed into the Edomites. As far as Mount Shiar goes. It stretches between the Salt Sea. And the uh, the Eleanitic Gulf. Like I said. These Horites. They dwelt there. In Mount Shire. I mean until esau and his sons drove them out of course we read about that in deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 22 and he did to the children of esau which dwelt in shire when he destroyed the horns from before them and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead even unto this day right and as far as el Paran, like i said this is either the the plain or the oak of Paran. It was most likely a city, right? That's in the wilderness of Paran. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 21, verse 21. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so let's move on. Let's look at... Uh, verse 7 now and they returned and came into i'm sorry and they returned and came to in mishpat which is kadesh and smote all the country of the amalekites and also the amorites that dwelt in hazazan tamar so it starts off with and they returned and came to an which is kadesh we're reading about these victories here right and and their victories as far as el Paran by the wilderness and here we see that they're passed by the country of the amalekites where it says that they returned this tells us that they had turned around and they went back so that they could kill him. right? They they came to this place that that was called Amishpat, or w- which means the Fountain of Judgment. But this is, of course, is not what it was later called. According to the Targum of Jonathan, this is where Moses and Aaron would later be judged. You know, concerning the business of, of the fountain, the waters of, um, Mar- I'm sorry, Marabba. So this tells us what it tells us that they had returned to this place Where Moses's judgment would later take place and now the interesting thing about this It tells us that it was an ancient name Right, but it was called this and Kadesh Was its name when Moses went there it was named this because this is where the Lord was sanctified. And when the rock is struck there, the water gushed out. As we read, they, they went there and they smote the country of the Amalekites. Think about what we're reading here. Because according to Josephus, this country reached from Pelusium in Egypt all the way to the Red Sea. We also know that they lived in Arabia Petria because Josephus tells us that the inhabitants of the Gobolites and Petra were also called the Amalekites. And the name was probably given to them in anticipation, since the common opinion is that they were the descendants of Amalek, which is the grandson of Esau and he was not even born yet so what are we to think i think that these amalekites here are descendants of ham because chediliamr was a descendant of shem and he's the one that's attacking them and well he kills them they were in league with the canaanites and the amorites philistines and other canaanites ish <laughs> nations these seem to be a more ancient nation than what could possibly proceed from Am- from amalek who is the son of eliphaz and since amalek is said to be the first of the nation as we read in numbers 24 20 let's take a look at that And when he looked at Amalek, he took up his per- parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his later end shall be, the, his, be that he perish forever. Nor does there ever appear to be any harmony or in friendship between them, since it might be thought that there would be if they were a branch of esau's family anyway nor nor do they give them any assistance at all when they were destroyed by saul so so they seem rather to be a tribe uh, of a, of this canaanitish nation and philo the jew he actually calls them the phoenicians so just think about that so let's move on to verse eight now And there went out of the king, there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Admah and the king of Zebulim and the king of Bela the same as Zoar and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. Here we are. We're back where we're back where we were in verse 3. We see that these five kings have come out and they've joined in the battle with the uh, the four that was in the Dale of Sedin now this Dale that we're reading about here would have been full of pits and it would have been filled with like mineral pitch or as we call it today asphalt the verse says and there went out the king of Saddam he would have had his men armed going out there to to meet with these four kings in battle right Sorry, my glasses are a mess and it's glaring. And these battles, they were always in close proximity. There would have been danger all around them. And if they couldn't stand their ground, it's best for them to just to just run into the mountains. Then it says, and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the King of Zeboim. Now notice how before we saw their names. That this verse says and the king of Bela the same as Zoar this is just like we saw before what we're seeing here is that they're joining in on the battle in the Vale of Sidin remember the ones who are invading are the Chaldea as well as the per as Persia right and at this time they were only small kingdoms they had, taken, they had taken Lot captive as well as the rest of the people. And, and they had taken, not only had they taken Lot captive, but they taken his goods as well. Even though Lot was, you know, righteous and the son of Abram's brother, he was with all these others and he was part of the trouble. This should be a way to show you that no matter how, you know, no matter your own reverence or who you're related to you know and how they're a favorite of god none of that will be your security when god's judgment comes around you know you can be the you can be the the wife and child of a preacher but if you or yourself are not in in relation with god it doesn't matter There have been a lot of honest men who have found themselves in big trouble because of who their neighbor is. We must be wise. We must separate ourselves from wicked people. Distinguish ourselves from them. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Right? So, let's move on. Let's look at uh, uh, Genesis chapter 14 like we've been doing. Let's look at verse 9. When shedda the king of Elam, and with... Tybal king of nations and Amirathiel king of Shinar and Arioch, king of Elisar four kings with five the chapter presents Abram a little differently We see him as a warrior and the occasion for this is that the king of Saddam and the kings of these adjoining cities who after having paid tribute to the king of Elam have combined forces to to throw off his yoke should he he had decided that to punish the this rebellion he would just invade their territories and with the aid of these three uh allies he would defeat them in a pitched battle where the ground would favor his army so so he hastened in triumph you know on his homeward march and he had uh he had a lot of captives and he had his booty So, what can we take from all of this? I think we should see that the land was in unrest for over 14 years. The land, as we see, had been broken into small little areas. And each one had their own king. Have you noticed that every time a group of people start to fight another group of people, it's out of of desire for a couple of things. Wealth and power I have no doubt that this is what we're seeing here all of these things are done because they want to be the top king right they want to be the king of kings let's move on to verse 10 now and the veil of Siddim was full of Slime pits and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountains. No, you did not read that wrong. You just read like I did, that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled towards the pits. It seems that they had fallen into they had fallen into them and they had perished. The others they fled into the mountains. Probably the heights of on, on the, the cast of the dell. I, ass, I am assuming that this was the large peninsula. That comes out into the Dead Sea from the eastern shore. In Abram's time it, it may have come all the way across to the western shore. Which is near Masada. So the bottom third of the Dead Sea formed this uh, dry valley. Now, this right here says that the uh, it's talking about these slime pits. These are pits that would have provided um, sealants for all sorts of things. And, and the people that were in this area, were, uh, they were they would use these oil deposits that had come to the surface. Some of the modern Bibles call these slime pits asphalt. Like I said earlier. At any rate, this would be of great use to these people, right? Sealing their homes, sealing their boats, all kind of things they'd be able to use it for. Let's keep going. Verse 11. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. So so they took everything from Sodom and Gomorrah. Their provisions, everything, anything else that they could carry, They they took it with them. And with the prisoners, they also took you know Lot, who's Abraham's nephew. All of this, what's this do? It sets the stage for what's about to happen. Don't forget, Lot was living in Sodom or very close to it. We see this confirmed in the next verse. They they took it all. The verse says, and they went their way. So these invaders were were loaded down with booty. And their first concern was to take all of this with them to their back home, to their native country, and to put it in safe places. They didn't see any reason to delay. They were in, They were probably over encumbered with a lot of valuable property. They figured that they could just settle, you know, settle all of that. The, the tribe will, will now serve us, right? I mean, hey if they did not accept the terms, they could just come back in some other incursion and just take more, right? Okay, let's go on to verse 12 now. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, right there, and his goods and they departed. They took Lot and his goods and departed. Think of how he must have felt now that he sees that his own folly, his own ingratitude, and moving away from his kind kind and pious uncle. Whenever we move away from the the path of duty, we pull ourselves away from God's protection. We have to understand that the choices that we make will not be for our own lasting good. Right? Right? Just look at Lot here. Why was he in trouble? Because he was a neighbor to the men of Sodom. He was in trouble because he was there in Sodom. He lived there with them. So he had to partake in their punishment. No matter how good he was. He was there beside them. He was their neighbor. He was their friend. The reason that Sodom was in trouble was because they were wicked. They had provoked God so that he afflicted them with these marauding kings. And now here's Lot. Lot is suffering because he was in their company. He was being corrected for choosing to live with them. So so these kings, they took his stuff too and they left. They took him, his family, everything he owned and they went their way with it. But you see, this is where they made their mistake. Abram, he he would have never gotten involved if they just left Lot alone. We never find out why they just didn't take Lot's riches and leave him. I can only guess that they planned on using them as slaves. You see, the people of modern Iran, they're descendants of these people. They still have not changed their tactics. They still kidnap people. Slave trade is still a big deal in, in that part of the world. Alright, let's move on. Verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre at the Amorite, brother of Eshgal and brother of Enir, and they, and these were confederate with Abram. So it starts off right there. It says, there came one. This of course would be one of the survivors that had escaped the invaders who had fled into the mountains. They located Lot's uncle. This of course shows us that they knew who Lot was related to. I'm sure that someone who was as wealthy as Abram was Would not have been hard to find. They also thought of him as someone. Who could do something about this crisis. Notice what it calls Abram. It calls him the Hebrew. This is the first time. That we see Hebrew as an ethnicity. In the Bible. Which as we discuss. Means that he was a descendant of Eber. And we see that. It is applied to Abram we see it several times where foreigners use it uh, on the Israelites and the Israelites also use it themselves when in, when they're in the presence of foreigners in places like uh, let's take a look at some of them Genesis chapter 34 verse 14 and says and they said unto them we cannot do this thing to give our sister to what does this am i looking at the wrong verse here i think i'm looking at the wrong verse here i might have typed in the wrong one let's look at the next one genesis chapter 40 verse 15. For indeed I have stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing, that they should put me into the dungeon. Genesis chapter 43, verse 32. And they set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an aban- abomination unto the Egyptians. Okay, so let's look at verse 14 now. Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. We'll continue on our reading. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So he armed his, what does it say? His trained servants. What does this tell us? It tells us that Abram, he had his own private militia. And that they were members of his extended family. Because notice, it says that these people, these servants were born in his house we also see that there were 318 of them these would have been highly skilled bodyguards and a protective force for abram's possessions so he would have dispatched them along you know along with the the trained men of his allies and they were mustered and they were set off after these military kidnappers otherwise these captives would have been taken away to the east to Shinar which was the early name of Mesopotamia or even further east to Elam just the way that this is worded it says trained servants born in his own house 318 this right here tells us that how mighty Abram really was just the size and the strength of his entourage he actually had combat troops at his disposal if you were to look into uh and to the Ebla, the Ebla the tablets, you would read of something referred to as Abram. This was a, a, a dynastic title, right, of a few centuries before Abram. Abram is called the mighty prince in Genesis chapter 23, verse 6. Take a look. Hear us, my lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. and the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And because of this, he's recognized by the inhabitants of the land as an influential person, possibly even a ruler of a section of the land. Who would argue with me when I say that our leaders could take instruction from Abram here? Notice how he takes immediate action. He gathered a few allies who had, you know, who, who probably had relatives that were captured as well. He took well trained and very loyal servants to catch these kidnappers that had run off with his nephew. Here in this verse, we see the word brother. This was actually a very loosely used term at the time. A better translation would have just been relative. Just as people might call Dr. Pepper a Coke. Okay, When you say you want a Coke now, people ask what kind. They use the word Coke to mean all sorts of soda or pop. If you prefer. That's what we see with the use of brother here. It means any relative, okay? So let's move on. let's, let's look at verse, let's look at two verses at once here verses 15 and 16. And he divided himself against them. he and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hoba which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also again i'm sorry and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother lot and his goods and the women also and the people it says that abram divided smote them pursued brought back so him and his allies they found their enemy they saw them they saw that they they were secure and relaxed they were these these men they weren't expecting anyone to pursue them so so they so abram and his men and his allies and all of them they attacked them on two different quarters abram was most likely on one side and his allies were on the other side and they attacked them by night and where they defeated them and then pursued them to Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus we're told this shows us that Abram was not a stranger to military strategy Abram was mili- he was battle wise he pursued his enemy for over 150 miles north of Damascus and he 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 deferred these um, he he defeated these marauders he was totally successful in his objective When you look at this, like I said, you can tell that Abram understood the art of war. He knew how to use maneuvers. And I believe that he came on them at night. I think just because I imagine, right, that it was easy for him to just take advantage of the situation. They would not have expected it. Some, of course, would, would have been asleep. Others, they were probably drunk josephus seems to agree with that you know we see that he had divided his men up just think about how brave abram had to have been he was leading his men against not only an army but an army that had just been victorious yes these this four kings army were probably very small but when they were all together they would have been strong even with their own skills and courage all the prime motivator that Abram to do this was simply his, aff- his affection for his nephew, Lot. His love for his nephew was so great that Abram risks his own life. Don't forget, Lot had chosen the best land. He left his uncle with whatever was left. Land that he did not think was worth you know, him accepting. I'm sure that you have heard the old saying, don't mess with Texas. You certainly do not mess with God's anointed. And Abram, Abram was God's chosen. And Lot, he got the overflow of the blessings through Abram. As we read, we see that Abram and his men, they had no trouble in taking out his enemy, and rescuing Lot and all of his possessions. Not only did he bring lots possessions back with him, but he took all the possessions of that army. (laughs) Amen. So let's move on. Let's look at verse 17 now. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer. And of the kings that went with him at the valley of Shiva, which is the king's Dale. Here we read about this place, this place called the Valley of Shiva. Or Shavi, whatever. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> we know that this is the, the Kidron Valley near Jerusalem. We read about it more in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18. Now Absalom, in his lifetime, had taken and reared up, reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale. And he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name, and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Right? It is here that the liberated king of, Siddam, of Saddam, sorry, goes to meet with Abram because it says, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him. So it seems that while Abram was in, in pursuit of these four kings, the king of Sodom came down from the mountain where him and the, uh, the, the ones that had escaped had fled to, and they came to Sodom, and, and then he went out alone. And as we see, he was not alone. He, he had his uh, advisors with him. And he met with Abram. And and he met with him after the slaughter of Shittar-lamar and the kings that had been with him, you know. So they met with Abram to celebrate his victory, right? The valley of Shev- Shevi is actually very plain. If you look it up, it's very plain. It's very even. The word itself tells us this. There are no trees there. There's nothing there to obstruct your view. That's what uh, Jarky tells us anyway. I tell you, all of this so that you can understand that they could not have picked a better place than the King's Dale. You know, so that meaning to have this interview. Could you imagine how happy the King of Sodom was to see that someone had taken out this evil group And returned with everything that they had taken Wow I bet he was just he he was probably just ecstatic so let's look at verse um, 18 this is where we see about Melchizedek for the first time and Melchizedek King of Salem brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the Most High God we read this we read of Melchizedek here, right the verse says and he was a priest of the Most High God for the from this verse right here we know that this bread and wine it didn't only refresh the body of Abram but it also refreshed his soul we can guess that him you know him bringing out this wine and bread that this is an act of a priest it must have been the crowning point of some sacred feast and Melchizedek is mentioned here for the first time in the Bible and as a priest he, he would be acting on the part of, of, of other people in a sacred way and as this is the Old Testament and, and therefore before Jesus you know was in his uh, hu- humanity in his flesh as a priest, he's a mediator between God and men. He represents God holding out a hand of mercy. And as a man, he's reaching out his hand of faith. The sort of this sort of office existed at that time before man grew at a greater distance away from God. Which which was, like I said, because of sin. Back in the Old Testament, A priest's job was to to offer sacrifice, as well as to intercede on people's behalf, making amends to the law, right? Appealing to God for mercy. Also notice, Melchizedek is not only a priest, but it says that he's the king of Salem. Now, the Salem that he's the king of is actually believed to be Jerusalem. As far as we know, he was just a man. As far as what Paul says about him, let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. I want to make sure you understand that all this means is that his story tells us nothing of his, you know, as far as history goes, we know nothing of his ancestry. The silence on this matter is meant to raise our thoughts to it. He's someone whose generation is unknown to us, right? And because if you continue to read chapter seven, you'll see the similarities between Melchizedek and Jesus. As far as the bread and the wine go, they were suitable for refresh for refreshment, especially for someone who's a weary traveler, like those that were following Abram. It's it's not interesting to th- I mean. It's not interesting to think of you know how Jesus would uh, later appoint these same items as the memorials for his body you know and blood. Melchizedek here he he blesses Abram for you know from God, he blesses God from Abram. His name Melchizedek means righteous king, and the lack of a, a biographical and genealogy, it allows for a lot of revelation you know to use him as a type of christ let's take a look at some verses here we're going to look at uh, psalms 110 verse 4 the lord has sworn and will not repent thou art a priest forever after the order of melchizedek now let's look at hebrews chapter 7 verse 17 for he testifieth thou art a priest forever after the order of melchizedek now, let's scroll down a little bit further and look at verse 21. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Not to mention, Melchizedek's superior status in Abram's day is witnessed. First, by the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom is the first one to meet Abram, right? After his victory, he comes there and the first one to meet him is the king of Sodom. And then he defers to Melchizedek before he then continues with his request. And then Abram, without any modesty, he accepts a blessing from him. He even gives tithes to Melchizedek. Take a look. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 and 2. For this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation King of Righteousness, and after that also King of Salem, which is King of Peace." Now, unlike some people try to claim all right, I want to make sure you understand one thing. Because the, Jew, the, the the Mormons think so. This is not a manifest manifestation of God here. This was an actual king, okay? The king of Jerusalem, or as it was called at that time, Salem. Yes, I think he, test, he he's a type of Christ, okay? And, and his priesthood as well. Take a look again in Psalm 110, verse 4. the Lord hath sworn and will not repent thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and if you want to go read Hebrews chapter 7 go read the whole thing but you know again I'm not going to take the time to sit and read another whole chapter we know that he was a priest of the most high God the fact that we see the use of El Elion which means sovereign Lord for God's name shows us that Melchizedek who used this title two times in verses 18 and 19 worshiped and served and represented not some canaanite deity but the same god that abraham or abram as he's called here also called yahweh el elian in verse 22. this is of course confirming to us when we read the description possessor of heaven and earth used by both Abram and Melchizedek in verses 19 and 22. i would also like to tell you how interesting it is to see other believers besides Abram and his descendants in this very limited account between chapters 12 and 50. as i said Salem is generally thought to be Jerusalem on the hill of Ophel and yes there is a lot of archaeological evidence of a Canaanite and Jebusite settlement during the early and middle Bronze Ages where they found the first water shaft was dug there this was to ensure an ample supply of water for the city other ancient evidence for this this name used for the city can be found in the Ebla tablets where it says uru salima the later egyptian ex- uh, execration texts call it uru shalima and the amrana tablets call it urusalim or beth shalim now i did see where some biblical scholars argue that salem does not refer to jerusalem but to the fertile region of salim which is near the dead sea but i say That this argument rests on the proximity of Salim to Sodom and the reference to Abraham meeting the king of Sodom in the valley of Shavi rather than in some central hill country. I'm sure you have not seen many ministers even attempt to touch this scripture, but in the sake of being brave, and the Bible tells us not to be afraid. I'm going to try all right bear with me who is Melchizedek well let's look at the rest of the Bible and see what else we can read about it shall we first let's look at Psalm 110 verse 4 again it says the Lord has sworn and will not repent thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek I think that this is talking about Jesus here and him being a high priest forever notice that it also says that Melchizedek was a priest forever this verse is prophetic it's saying that Jesus would be a priest forever now Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, this verse is telling, talking about Jesus here. It's saying that he is not like Aaron and other earthly priests, ones that received priesthood because of the tribe that they were born into. It's saying that Jesus is like Melchizedek, who was always a high priest. Then we see Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10, which says, Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek keep that in mind and we see just a chapter later in hebrews chapter 6 verse 20 it says whether the forerunner is for us entered even jesus made a high priest forever after the order of melchizedek god is showing the children of israel back in the old testament a high priest of his making And then he told them that this is an example of someone to come. Remember, Jesus did not come through the Levitical tribe, did he? He was ordained by God himself. He came from the tribe of Judah. But of course, we know that. And we know that Jesus was God himself. So, let's move on. Let's look at verse 19 now. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. You see, it says that Melchizedek and he blessed him. This makes it very clear that Melchizedek Does not only act in a civil capacity. But also in a sacred capacity as well. It says that he blesses Abram. He does it in a form of benediction. We see two parts. The former is strictly a blessing. Where where you ask for good things for the person in question. He says blessed be Abram. Right? It's a father's duty to bless a child. Of the superior to bless his subject. Of the inferior, you know, or the inferior, if you will. And of course, for a priest to bless someone, take a look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. The less is blessed of the better. Here in this verse we see Melchizedek assume, and and Abram concedes to it, the superior. And of course, we read the Most High God. This, This further designates the founder of the heaven and the earth, the great architect, the builder, the possessor of all things. Notice that we do not see an allusion to the creation of heaven and earth. This shows us again that the God of Melchizedek is the one, the creator, the upholder of everything. There is not some (coughs) mere local or national deity who has some limited power. The one true supreme God of the universe. You know, we should all give thanks for the mercies that God shows to others. Just as much as we do for our own. Jesus is our great high priest. He is the mediator of both our prayers and our our praises. He does not only offer up, up ours, right? He offers up his own for us. And let's look at verse 20 here. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave his tithes of all. Look at what he says. Which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. I like this. It shows that all the credit for victory over the superior military goes to where it belongs. To the sovereign Lord. Not to Abram's prowess. This amounted to true worship of a true God. Then the verse also adds. He gave him tithes of all. This shows us that Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek. It shows Melchizedek's superior priesthood. At this time, Levi had not even been born yet. He himself was a descendant of Abram. The word tithes here tells us that Abram gave him a tenth of the spoils. We can learn from this. When we receive some great mercy from God, we should show our thankfulness with some special act of charity jesus who is like melchizedek here should have homage done to him we should humbly acknowledge him as our king and our priest not only the tithe of all you know but all that that we have should go to god to jesus let's take a look at hebrews chapter 7 verse 4 it says now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Now please take note of the fact that the king the King James Bible does not say a tenth like most of the other Bibles do. But here in the book of Hebrews it does it does confirm that Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils Even in the old King James, you know what? I know we just read verse 4 But let's look at the context Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 to 6 For this Melchizedek king of Salem priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also abraham gave a tenth part of all first being by interpretation king of righteousness and after that also king of salem which is king of peace without father without mother without descent having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like unto the son of god abideth a priest continually now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch abraham gave the tenth of the spoils and verily they that are of the sons of levi who receive the office of the priesthood have commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren though They come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham. And blessed him that had the promises. Okay, let's take a break from the scriptures for a second. And, And let's talk about some of the revelations. Right? That we see here. Firstly. Who is the king of righteousness? Who is the king of peace? Who is the one who has not beginning nor end? Who was made son of God? Who is a priest forever? The answer to all of this? Jesus. Jesus is the son of the living God. Who all call him Lord. We all do. We all will call him king when he comes back. And in the Bible, when in heaven, we see him called the Word of God. Do you see what this is? Is it possible that Melchizedek is another type of of Jesus? Now, let's ponder that this priest of God made his appearance here about 2,000 years after, Abraham, after Adam was born. The baby Jesus was born approximately 2,000 years after Melchizedek appeared on the earth. Jesus, the king, will return about 2,000 years after his manifestation as our Savior. Now, I do not believe that this is just a coincidence. Okay? Abraham is the father of all believers right and he's the only one that saw him for abraham to be the father of all believers through our faith we he had to believe in the one that we call jesus and this right here god is revealing something to us the word of god took on the name jesus to show us that he was our savior He took on the name of Christ to show us that he was the anointed one. Jesus had many, many names. Messiah, Jehovah, Mighty God, Emmanuel, Bright and Morning Star, and so, so many others. I believe that it was possible that Melchizedek was Jesus here. Okay, let us look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 7 to 24. I know it's a lot, but we're going to look at all of it. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here, men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, and whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And I, as I may say, as and as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes to Abraham for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron for the priesthood being changed there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertained to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident For that, after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness of unprofitableness thereof for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing of the better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God and in as not without an oath he was made priest for those priests were made without an oath but this was an oath by him that said unto him the Lord swear and will not repent thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament and they truly were made many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death but this man because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood Do you see how this is saying that Jesus and Melchizedek are not all like the other priests? These others who just serve for a short time during their lives? Jesus is a priest forever. On the earth, yes, and in heaven. But Jesus fulfilled the law and purchased our salvation. His power? Was shown in the endless life. Take a look. Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 25 to 28. Wherefore he is able also to save them. To the uttermost. That could. That come unto God by him. Seeing he is ever liveth. To make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us. Who is holy. Harmless. Undefiled separated from sinners and made higher than the heavens who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's for this he did once when he offered up himself for the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity but the word of the oath which was since the law Maketh the son who is the consecrated forevermore. Remember how Jesus fed the disciples bread and wine at the Passover? Do you remember that? Here in Genesis, we see Melchizedek feed Abram bread and wine. He blessed Abram. Only God can bless. All these things, they show me a type of Jesus here. Right? Okay. Let's continue on. We're going to look at um, Genesis chapter 14. We're going to read verses 21 to 24. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Anir, Eshgal, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. If Abraham had agreed to the king of Sodom's request, he, he would have been allowed, he would have been allowing, I should say, this wicked king to attribute all of Abraham's wealth to the king's generosity. Which would have, of course, destroyed the testimony of the Lord's blessing on his life. It would have contradicted his trust in God. The commandment was would 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 be on his on his allies right the commitment i should say they would be able to to make their own decisions and for his servants their meals that that were taken from the spoils were sufficient that that was all the payment he needed they remembered their master's reaction to the and, and his testimony this of course overcame the 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 negative aspects of their their exit from Egypt Look at what we see here lest thou should say I have made Abram rich That is a good answer Abram is refusing to take anything So that he would not be obligated to do anything for the king of Sodom it also shows us that he has total allegiance to god all he took was the food for his men and he gave his allies the liberty to accept the spoils if they wanted it you see he did not want to be obligated to this king this king of sodom this king of a wicked city he only did this to rescue his nephew that's the only reason he did it he knew that it was god who won this battle the only payment that he took was the wages for the men that went with him. That's all. He he, he, he didn't want anything else. So, all right, well, thank you all for joining me here. I'm um, uh, hoping that you listen to that podcast episode that I put up on YouTube and Rumble and uh, BitChute. I hope you listen to that because there's something important in there for you to hear. Um, it's not anything that wanted to affect this weekend, of course. Even though I, you know, I did take the job, um, but it's just something important that might take place. So far, it hasn't, but it's it's possible that it could happen. So, if you haven't already, please go listen to that. Um, so. I want to thank each and every one of you for watching today. I pray the Lord continues to bless and keep each and every one of you. May God bless you and I love you, and I hope to see you all here soon. Oh, thank you.